Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Incomparable, number 635, October 2022. Hello everyone and welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Anthony Johnston, and today we have reconvened our book club, in a manner of speaking. A lot of the book club episodes here on The Incomparable, especially of late, are about particular books. Hugo and Nebula Award nominees, uh, in particular, or the latest book by a favourite author, and so on, which everyone reads and talks about. And those are great, and I love them as much as you do. I love listening to those, and I've found lots of books and authors through those episodes whom I now read regularly. But... I thought it would be fun to do an episode, and maybe more than one. Who knows if this goes well, haha, <laughs> where instead of reading and talking about the same sort of assigned books, we could talk about books that we've just read for our own pleasure, rather than for a podcast, imagine that, and recommend them to each other and to you, our listeners, and that's what this is. There will be some structure, because this is me. Uh, I have put together some categories of uh, things to talk about, but interpreting those categories I have left entirely up to the panellists, and this is not a draft. Honestly. Uh, probably much to the disappointment <laughs> of at least one panellist. <laughs> it's also not an exclusively sci-fi or fantasy thing. Um, part of the reason I wanted to do this was to get us talking about other genres as well, if possible. We all love sci-fi and fantasy. I'm sure there will be sci-fi and fantasy books in this, but it's not restricted to that. So let us meet the members of this impromptu book club. Erica Ensign is here. Hello, Erica. Hi, I am already a disappointment to you, Anthony, because I don't read other genres other than fantasy and science fiction. <laughs> and probably about 92% of my reading is just for our podcast. So sorry. There is no disappointment here. No <laughs> disappointment or letting people down. All are welcome. James Thompson is also here. Uh, James, like me, isn't on a lot of the normal book club episodes, so that's nice. Hello, James. Yes, uh, mostly because I am intimidated by all the people who do this sort of thing for a living, but um, I have some picks, and they are, of course, all science fiction and fantasy. So, sorry. <laughs> now I'm intrigued by you. I hadn't thought about that before, but yeah, in a manner of speaking, there's a certain amount of getting paid to read for a living. Imagine that. Oh. <laughs> it's not and worth finally. It. <laughs> you heard him you heard him there some guy called jason snell i've never heard of him anthony hello it, jason it's great to be on your dra book draft thank you <laughs> <laughs> i told you at least one person would be disappointed yes and, and and i i guess for those of us who do the awards read along i'll just say um don't even try to calculate up how much money we receive for that versus <laughs> how many hours we put into it because i don't oh, know God. if we would even be a, a penny per hour honestly uh, well below minimum wage mm. <laughs> all right so like i said we're going to use uh some categories that i cooked up just to sort of frame the discussion but this really is just an excuse to talk about books we like um so the first category is 
an SFF book, a science fiction or fantasy book, that you would give to someone who isn't really into science fiction or fantasy? So maybe because you're trying to persuade them that they should be, or maybe because the book only lightly touches on SFF so they won't be put off by it. But as I said, the interpretation of all of this stuff is entirely up to you. Uh, so, <laughs> Erica, I've got you down to kick us off this round. So you oh, have fine. chosen an SFF book, I'm going to assume. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> because that's the category. So what have you chosen? All right. Well, first of all, I'm going to start every single category by telling you why I had trouble choosing something for each category. <laughs> and the reason I had trouble with this one is I really kind of hate broad recommendations. Um, just in general, I feel like it's often a bad idea. Over on my Doctor Who podcast, Verity, uh, a lot of times people will ask us, where should I start with listening to Big Finish, which is the audio uh, audio dramas that are in the Doctor Who universe, but not the televised stories. And we have stopped giving general recommendations. Now what we do when somebody asks is have them tell us a few of their favorite Doctor Who stories and maybe why they like them. And then I usually shunt it over to my uh, co-host Tansy Rayner Roberts, and she does her party trick of giving them a couple of big finish things that she thinks will uh, appeal to them specifically based on what they like. So if I were to hand a science fiction or fantasy book to somebody I know who's not really into the genre, I would choose based on what I know about like what their likes and dislikes are. And so I, I knew I need, still needed to pick something for this category. And I yeah. know a lot of people who are really into mysteries. Mysteries, you know, big, big, huge, like it's a, it's a ginormous selling genre. Lots of people read it. So there are also a lot of science fiction and fantasy books that either have a mystery at the heart of them or use mystery tropes. Um, they're, they're genres that weave together very well. So I figured that's that's a good place to, for me to start for just to have something to pick for this, because then it's a really fertile ground for people, if they like the book that I have chosen, to go off and read more mystery-based science fiction stories. Uh, the one that I chose was one that is, I think, specifically just quite easy to read, which is one of the uh, one of the reasons I picked it. And I picked Lock-In by John Scalzi um, because huh. it really reads like a very classic procedural detective story. It is a murder mystery that just happens to be set in a future where a, okay, there's a plague, which I realize right now, a little real, but <laughs> <laughs> but in general, but I read this well before COVID, um, it, this plague has resulted in uh, about 1% of the population being basically locked into their own brains. So they're, they're still conscious, they're still awake, but they can't move or respond to any stimulus. Um, and like the science fictional aspect is that technology has advanced to create what are basically robot bodies that can host the consciousness of a person who is locked in with this uh, Hayden's syndrome. So uh, the mystery does also touch on the syndrome itself. And there are people in the story who are able to actually allow the use of their body <laughs> by somebody who has Hayden's syndrome. Oh, wow. But like that's that's the science fictiony stuff. But it really it's a procedural murder mystery. So if, if somebody's super into procedural murder mysteries, I would hand them this book, which is a very easy read and has, I think, an interesting mystery at the heart of it. And hopefully they would like it enough to go on and read other stuff wow sold um i, <laughs> I i've read some scalzi but i haven't read that and that sounds great that actually sounds right up my alley um, it's, it's good and there's also like if they really like it there's a there's a, a prequel as well that tells about like the disease itself and how it got started i think there might even be a sequel that i never got around to reading i'm not sure cool i i understand what you're saying about the 
the difficulty of recommending things in uh, broad categories. I always, I'm always like that when people say, "Oh, what graphic novel should I read?" If I've never read graphic novels before, it's oh my like, well, god, that, that, that's, <laughs> that's a big harder. question. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a big question. Uh, but you know, for the sake of uh, for the, of the podcast, we have our imaginary yep. non-person that we're mm-hmm. handing them and to. My so. imaginary non-person is a mystery fan. So there you go. There you go. As you, as indeed many people are, as you said, mm-hmm. you know, crime and mystery is literally the biggest selling genre in the world. So oh wow, you know, see, I didn't yeah. know that. Yay me. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's an argument between crime and romance. Uh, mm-hmm. like, there's a sort mm-hmm. of you know. Like gang war, kind <laughs> an of argument thing. between crime and romance. I would read that book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think officially looking at you know sort of official book industry figures, yeah, uh, crime and mystery is the top selling genre. So throw a rock at a reader, and they won't thank <laughs> you for don't it. Don't do that. No, don't do that. But <laughs> but the chances are you'll find somebody who likes a mystery. So yeah, good pick. Uh, James, what about you? What have you got for us? Well, I also need to preface my choices. <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> Although I don't have a problem with like blindly recommending things to people, Um, but I haven't read novels as a kind of regular thing for a very long time, other than the sort of graphic variety anyway. And uh, I thought that my reduced attention span meant that I'd fallen completely out of the habit. But recently, some uh, fortuitous eye problems have forced me to rediscover the joy of reading physical books. And I've been catching up on like decades worth of stuff. Ah. But I don't have a vast number of things that I'm picking from, so I apologize if my picks are very obvious. Anyway, I also need to single out Sarah Bickerton for many of my recent book recommendations. Mm. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, because if I didn't, she would be cross because I'm <laughs> going to steal all her favorite books. <laughs> I, I can't imagine anyway, Sarah being cross. No. I know. I don't want to see her be cross. Anyway. Yeah, I don't want to disappoint her. Uh, so uh, I needed to think about this category. And I kind of trying to frame it in my mind as a parallel question of like, um, if you had to recommend a TV show about sport to somebody who wasn't into sport. And I was thinking of like examples, you know, Sports Night, Ted Lasso, League of Their Own and all that. And they all work because the shows are equally not about sport as they are about sport. So I think you need to pick a book that's as much about something else as it is science fiction or fantasy. And my gut instinct here is always to go Terry Pratchett, because a lot of my mm-hmm. favorite books of his are really about other things like the postal system or the internet or whatever, but just done in a fantasy universe. Um, however, I did want to pick something more recent, and Terry has been particularly remiss at writing new books of late. So <laughs> I can't imagine why. <laughs> I'm I'm going to choose uh, the recent uh, Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. And it's the story of an orc barbarian who hangs up her sword and uses all the proceeds of her adventuring to open up a coffee shop. And if you've ever been a regular in a small independent coffee shop, you will recognize many of the tropes in this and the characters and stuff, you know, right down to the people who just sit and work in the coffee shop and don't spend very much money. So I think this is going to be pretty approachable to many people and you get a lot out of it, even if you only have a sort of passing knowledge of the fantasy genre. Uh, The book is also extremely cozy and kind and positive. So to continue my sports TV analogy, it's very Ted Lasso season one. I'm glad that you specified season one there. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I specified it. It's not a season two. Excellent. Yeah, I've never even heard of that book. 
Um, um, it's just about to get published. It, it was a self-published thing, and it's been picked up, I think, by Tor for two books. And I think it comes out next month in their official version. Great. Well, like I say, I'd never heard of that. But yeah, that sounds that sounds a lot of fun, actually. It does feel like a kind of lost Terry Pratchett novel. Um, and I mean that with the you know the highest honours. I, I think any author would take that as a great compliment. Yeah, fantastic. Jason, then, what have you got for us? I was um, torn about this because what? how do you approach somebody who's not really into the genre, but you want to get them into it? I thought of a lot of things that are from high-profile authors or were marketed as not science fiction, even though they totally are, because I feel like that's one way that they trick people who don't want to read the genre to read the genre. If the bar- if the book marketers mm-hmm. know what they're doing and they usually, well, no, they sometimes, well, no, they rarely know what they're doing, but sometimes they do. <laughs> um, so I, I thought about a lot of high profile, you know, prestige things that are actually from from winners of, of various highfalutin prizes, but they also uh, wrote a book that's science fictional. So the other way I thought about this was um, I was thinking about um, about my wife, who does read some in the genre, mostly when I'm called on to recommend something to her. Uh, and so it's got to, you know, it's like not only tailoring it to her taste, but also thinking to myself, you know, this needs to be good. And so what have I recommended to, to her? So I'm going to... Uh, I may even cheat and and pick two things here because it's not a draft. That's <gasps> fine. <laughs> um, so what I just recommended to uh, Lauren is a book called A Psalm for the Wild built by Becky Chambers, which mm-hmm. is Excellent. a very gentle novella about a monk who serves tea and a robot who comes out of the woods because nobody's seen the robots in a thousand years to see what the people are doing since the last time the robots checked on the people and they kind of travel around together and serve tea and try to have conversations about life. And it's just gentle and sweet and nice. And I think that in some ways subjecting uh, a science fiction or fantasy novel to somebody who's not comfortable in the genre, I think the idea of, you know, in the end, it, it's just this conversation between a monk and a robot and they can probably gather. It's not, I think it's not super challenging, even though it's set on a moon orbiting a gas giant and there's the whole history there. I think in the end it can be read, you know, you're not, there's not a whole vocabulary you need to pick up to understand right. it, right? I'm not going to have somebody read Anathem or something like that. Um, if I was, if I was and this is actually a book that my wife read before I did, but if I was thinking of somebody who was a little more uh, highfalutin and like, well, I need it to be a real book by like a real author, author if I'm going to read it, I would probably recommend Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr, winner of the Pulitzer Prize, uh, because it is uh, totally a... Uh, genre novel amid along with being other things it's also a historical and it's also a present day and so i think in that way that as it's a strange book in multiple timelines but it's grounded in the sense that there's only one timeline that's in the future um and it's beautifully written and so that would be my um let's give you something that that is looks like prestige literary fiction but is actually in the genre um, but if I have only one to pick, it would be a Psalm for the Wild Bill. Well, and time travel's mainstream 
these days anyway, isn't it? Look well, at it's, uh, it's, was it Time not, Traveler's Wife is, you know, right. sort of well, has won Cloud literary Cuckoo prizes Land, and stuff. Right. Cloud Cuckoo Land isn't, to be, I want to be clear, it, it's more like Cloud Atlas. It's not actually time travel. It's just set oh, okay. in different time frames. There are multiple stories that are interlinked being told in different time frames, but there's no time travel. It's just sort of like, this is in the distant past and this is in the past and this is in the present and this is in the future. Um, and they're all related to a single, uh, work of art. Actually. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. I I recommend cloud Google land to everybody. It's not just, yes. I mean, it's trying to hide what it is because they don't, they feel like the genre is slumming. And if you've got a Pulitzer prize winner, you don't want to pretend that, they wrote a, a genre novel, but it totally is, and uh, and a very beautiful and beautifully written one. But again, I think the the truest uh, truest form for this question is Psalm for the Wild Built by Becky Chambers, because it's, uh, it's nice and short and pleasant and not so challenging that you're going to say, what did you make me read? <laughs> That's, I'm... I mean, that's great. I'm surprised actually a little that you had, you know, two bites at the cherry and neither of them were uh, the books that I have listed for this, which were both recommended by you. (laughs) (laughs) I've moved on, obviously, since then. (laughs) Clearly, clearly, I've been left Or I left them for you, Anthony. Ah, but it's not Mm, a draft. It's not a draft. My main pick, my primary pick for this would be Among Others by Joe Walton. Which, like I say, you recommended mm-hmm. on uh, an episode of Book Club like years ago, and you were so enthusiastic about it, and I'd never heard of so, Joe Walton or the book. Here's the so thing that I I love on. that book. That book, because I described it at, at the time as it's a fantasy novel about science fiction. The problem I have is if somebody's not into the genre, then the, a lot of the literary references that Joe Walton makes about science fiction will be lost upon the reader. I think I think among others is is maybe best appreciated if you've read a lot of science fiction, but maybe may not. well I mean you you're right that obviously you won't get the literary references or rather you won't have associations with the literary references in the same way you will if you've read them. But the way I look at that is cuz half of the books that are mentioned in that book uh I hadn't read either. When I, you know, I, some of them I have read since, and that's I kind of approach it almost like a reading list. Yes, uh, oh, it is. So it's almost it, like if yeah. you like this, actually, here's a whole list mm-hmm. of books that you should read because the main character loves them. So to recap for people who don't know, among others is uh, a sort of it's a historical because or period piece I should say uh, about a young girl who is from a fractured family. She runs away to or is sent away sorry uh, with her twin sister to go and live with her uncle i think it is um no father sorry isn't it long lost father and he sends her to boarding school and she has a terrible terrible time of it and kind of retreats into books but there is also a story of her wanting to escape her mother's clutches because her mother is an evil witch uh, and sort literally. of black magician yeah. yeah literally who is like sort of trying to destroy their lives but in amongst all of that as well, there's and she sort of encounters fairy creatures and that are always on the edge of her vision and talks to you know sort of little uh, fantasy pixie things and what have you. But the, nobody else sees it, and so running throughout the whole book and it's never actually fully uh, resolved, even by the end of the book, is you don't know whether or not she is just making all this up 
because in her own head, because she is a lonely, depressed child seeking solace and escape from horrors of the real world. And that's one of the things I love about the book. And that's why I would happily recommend it to somebody who isn't into fantasy, because you can read it completely, you know, there's a completely valid reading of this book that it is all in her head. And it's actually a psychological uh, character study rather than an actual fantasy, which I think is a really, really fine line to walk. I mean, that's a hell of a tightrope to to take a whole book length work along. And yet Joe Walton pulls it off, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very, very admirably. I think it's one of my favorite books of the last few years that I've read. This is really fascinating to me because this is sort of just reinforces that, yeah, it's really hard to do a broad recommendation because I couldn't even get through among others. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I bounced <laughs> off it pretty hard. And I also didn't particularly like the uh, robot monk uh, novella all that much either. So I would never recommend that to anybody. So, you know, <laughs> these are not for take, you. See, we know so I'm you. just saying, yeah, take yeah. take my recommendations and everybody else's with a with a grain of salt, depending on. <laughs> Depending on what what uh, what works for you, except Anthony, yeah, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> of course, this is the power that comes with being the host. Um, funnily <laughs> enough, my my sort of backup choice for that was Borderline by Michelle Baker. I had that on my um, list. I did. Yeah, mm. I did. Which you famously described as fairy noir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, you know, a nice mystery. At the center uh, of another that one. one, exactly. Another one that is. Uh, I mean, that's much. You you can't sort of dismiss <laughs> the fantasy aspects of that one, but it is essentially a murder mystery. I mentioned my strategy of of like something with literary aspirations. So like, it's you feel like you're not you know in this genre. Uh, is that why you're not reading these the books in the genre, or just something that's nice and accessible? I I do mm. wonder if one of the things. This was an interesting question for me, Anthony. I, I appreciate you kind of. Having me go through this exercise, I think um, having it be set in a familiar setting is actually something to the to the credit to the present day or close to it in a familiar setting. I feel like one of the things that a lot of people run aground on when they're reading science fiction or fantasy is that the world is so unlike anything they know that they mm. don't have a you know we're all trained like I, I'll I'll read those you know uh, was it you know Lee books that that have like there's calendars and math that change the yes. laws of the universe and like mm-hmm. those I I I am under no illusions about how inaccessible those books are <laughs> no right <doubt>. so <laughs> but they're so good so i think having something like borderline which is yes mm-hmm. there's magic and fairies and stuff but it's also it's set in la amidst the entertainment industry it's a it's a noir it's a detective it's it's a bunch of stuff that'll be familiar and so there's something to hold on to and i think that that it that is very helpful and and so I, that's why i think that that's a good choice i mean we could throw the golem and the genie uh by Helene Wecker in in this this group as well as a you know very literary feeling book yes. that's totally totally a genre book but it also has familiar locations especially if you live in New York City and um, if our fictional sort of ground you if our fictional non person person is a fan of historical mm-hmm. fiction right that then that's yep. a really good fit oh absolutely I, yeah. I think that that might be the secret here is find what kind of books do they like is there a science fiction or fantasy book that's adjacent to that genre or category mm-hmm. yeah. and if so. Like the like the mysteries, like that's a great way in. I mean, that's always that's always the tack that I took with recommending graphic novels to people. As I mentioned earlier, is the first mm-hmm. thing you say is, "Well, what do you read, or what TV shows do you watch?" 
uh, you know, yeah. and are your favourites, and then yeah, find a graphic novel that is somehow close to that. That's always the the right category. But obviously, we couldn't possibly run through all the different. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we would be here uh, for way too long. Of, yeah, <laughs> I, I do think the kind of if if you say. You know, oh, it's not really science fiction, or it's not really fantasy. You know, I I feel that this is, this makes me bridle. It's like, no, I'm going to give you a science fiction yeah. or a fantasy novel, and you're going to read it, and you're going to like it, mm. and then you'll realise <laughs> that you do actually enjoy these things. Take I, I will say as well, actually, the thing about uh, among others, uh, one, and one of the reasons why I enjoyed it, but also recommend it, is uh, does actually come down to that familiarity and things, but specifically for British people so there is an element there of i wouldn't necessarily recommend it to a non-brit or specifically anyway to an american uh, in this category but to any british person who you know sort of uh, is let's say older than 30 a lot of the stuff in that book uh, and especially about boarding school and society and what have you will feel very very familiar so it has that no it's not the same universal recognition that everybody has of things like hollywood in la uh because, thanks to cultural export but if you are british of a certain age you absolutely will recognize many many parts of that book that's not just the sound of that first sip of morning joe it's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. All right, let's move on then to our next category, which is a classic, which I'm defining as pre-1990, just to make everybody feel really old. Hmm. That still holds up. And James, why don't you start us off this time? Well, to keep up the traditions of a non-draft, uh, I'll first tell you what I'm not picking. Um, <laughs> ah, now you're getting it. Um, classic. I was initially out of sheer badness going to choose The Warlock of Firetop Mountain by Steve wow. Jackson and Ian Livingston, which is 40, year old, 40 years old this year. Uh, but I don't think I can recommend it purely on the strength of the writing because it's not technically a novel. It's a choose-your-own-adventure book, but it was really my gateway into Dungeons & Dragons, and I absolutely love it for that. It is a fantastic anyway. book, but yeah, it's not. I mean, I think Ian, even Ian and Steve would say it's not really the best written book in the world, yes, is it? <laughs> yes, um, But my real answer is still a slight cheat and is also highly predictable. I am choosing the omnibus edition of The More Than Complete Hitchhiker's Guide by Douglas Adams. Which <laughs> oh was my gosh, I'm shocked. Yeah, <laughs> It was published in 1987, comprises the entirety of the first four Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy novels, probably the best ones, uh, plus a short story. I mean, I think it's not a surprise to say that I based the entirety of my sense of humor on the combined works of Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett. Uh, I also had the added pleasure of actually corresponding with Douglas in the 90s and early 2000s as he was a beta test of one of my apps. But I have an extremely soft spot for all these books, even the bad ones, even the ones that don't exactly have the best female characters or any female characters, really. Um, but, you know, I'm mainly just reading all these things back now. I'm just disappointed that Douglas never got to see us all running around with small electronic devices in our pockets mm. that gave us access to the entirety of human knowledge, which he predicted so many decades previously. 
Now you've got me thinking that I should change my uh, iPhone lock screen to say "Don't panic" in I, I had bright, say, friendly don't letters panic for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> but does it still hold up? That's the thing. Like, do I you think really? It does. Yeah, do you think I mean, the Hitchhiker still holds? Yeah, I think it does. And there's, I mean, there's a whole load of stuff in it that's still applicable today. And I think the writing is just very good. And for something that is written, you know, in the tail end of the seventies, um, I mean. Written. We should say that, you know, of course, it's based on radio plays and then were turned into books and every other form of media imaginable. Um, but yeah, I think it does. I think the story's still good. Certainly, all the jokes about British bureaucracy are still valid. Yes, that has, <laughs> uh, if, valid. if anything, only got better <laughs> over time. Very true. Uh, Jason, how about you? Uh, sure. I decided to go, I mean, still holds up pre-1990. Pre it's hard. Um, I kept thinking about the writers who have been proven to be not, not too wrong in terms of sort of the areas where they were focusing on as science fiction writers pre-1990. And, um, Although I'm going to, I'll do the, I'll do the James thing here, which is also the me <laughs> thing. Uh, what I really thought about talking about, speaking of classics, a uh, classic that I uh, read recently that I think still holds up actually is Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Oh. Um, it is uh, the very definition of sophomore lit. <laughs> I I actually read it my sophomore year in high school and talked <laughs> about it on John McCoy's sophomore lit podcast. But um, I, it is, it is uh an anti-war story about a man who witnessed the firebombing of Dresden, the complete destruction of Dresden. Um, Kurt Vonnegut did. Uh, but also it's about the randomness of life and it is told in choppy. Um, it's the character is moved out of time. And so he keeps, he's unstuck in time. Uh, we are so used to this idea now that I, I think it holds, not only does it still hold up, I think in some ways it feels more modern than before it, because it was so weird at the time. And now it's almost like every novel can be Slaughterhouse-Five if it really tries. Um, and there's some weird stuff in it, but in general, I think that the message is still pretty clear and his writing is, uh, stylistically is, uh, uh, if not timeless, is he's got a very clear voice and is very funny and and also sad at the same time because that's what the book is. Um, I liked it a lot, but I'm not going to pick that. It's not a draft. <laughs> I am instead going to go to one of those science fiction writers who I think did a pretty good job of what was um, what was to come, and that's Werner Vinge, who wrote a bunch of oh. novels uh, predicting all sorts of things, including in this case. The singularity, which is this idea that it, uh, if it feels like technology and progress keep moving exponentially forward, there comes a, t a moment when the the line of progress goes completely vertical. And what is that? That is the technological singularity. Um, in the book Marooned in Real Time, which is actually a sequel, but kind of not connected to a book called The Peace War, there's some technology that basically is like a big bubble. And if you're on the inside of the bubble, time stops. It's it's part of the plot of the Peace War. Marooned in real time is it's not really the point. The point is more it's it's a murder mystery, by the way. Another uh, one. But the point is that they are past the singularity, that these people all got stuck in these bubbles of, of non-time at various points and ended up on the other side of the singularity where there's nobody around. 
um, except the people who were in the bubbles. And nobody knows what happened to everybody else on planet Earth, but they're all gone. And so these people are far in the future. They've all sort of like gathered up and waited around everybody else's bubbles and sort of like gotten the people out of the bubbles so that there are enough humans still on the Earth. Um, and the the jumping off point of this, and they're from different times too, which is really interesting because there's a class structure, but the class structure is based on people from the 20th, you know, late 20th, early 21st century and people from the 22nd century and the, and the early 23rd century. So there's the high techs and the low techs, and they all have their kind of like um, differences that sort of are class stratifications. And then um, what happens to set off the plot is that one of the characters in the book is left outside when they're moving forward for a hundred years or 200 years to pick up some more stragglers. And so they live their life out alone and die, but they were, it was a setup. So the character is, you know, has lived to death. It's very much like the weeping angels in Dr. Who. Um, hmm. they, they haven't been murdered, but they were left outside. So they lived alone for a hundred years or however long they survived and then and then died of old age presumably more or less but uh who did that and why did they do it and and so they turned to our main character who was a detective um but is famous to everybody who came after him because after he was bubbled up and essentially dead for hundreds of years um, his son wrote a series of detective novels about him as a great detective <laughs> that became famous. So he's famous for something he didn't do, but that his son imagined. <laughs> and they say, you've got to figure, you got to solve this mystery. It is just, it's full of clever things. It's got wild science fictional twists. It's got the, the, this wonderful concept of the people from different times who are rapidly moving into the far, far future because they can to see if anybody shows up. And, uh, it's one of my favorite science fiction novels, uh, of all time. And I think it still holds up and it's from 1986. So it counts. And that's my choice. That is, that sounds like quite a bizarre book. It's but interesting. It's yeah. real good. I mean, in the in, in the heart of it, despite the weirdness of the setting, it is a murder mystery, a strange murder mystery, but a murder mystery nonetheless. And um, and and really well done. But yes, in such a bizarre science fictional setting and the whole idea of exploring the concept of the singularity, which is, I think, by very definition, hard to understand. And so he <laughs> yeah. he completely avoids it by just saying, well, they all disappeared and we don't know what happened to them. And we're still here. But so here let's we move are. on. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> right. And and there's a there's some Fermi paradox stuff in there too cuz it very much is like were there were there aliens? Are there aliens? Does this solve this is why we don't hear from anybody is this happens where would they go? But uh in the end it's it's a uh, yeah, it's a detective story where he's trying to live up to the fictional character based on him written by his son. Wow, Shades of Galaxy Quest, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Erica, what have you chosen for us for this one? All right. Well, uh, the reason that I struggled with this is that I haven't been doing a lot of rereading. So while there are a lot of books that were written before 1990 that I really enjoyed, I don't actually know if they're going to hold up. Um, and, you know, when when I do reread books, they don't always hold up quite as well as as I think they're going to. I mean, there's an entire podcast on this network <laughs> called The Saga of Rereading Epics <laughs> in which Lisa Schweizer and I reread Julian May's Saga of Pleiocene Exile and Galactic Milieu series. And I really enjoyed that process and it was fascinating. But I'm not entirely sure I would say that those books held up in 
at least not in the way that I would like them to to to, to be an answer for this question. Sure. Um, so, and I'm also trying to avoid picking books that I've already talked about on this podcast, which, as I said, like 90% of my reading is for this podcast <laughs> these days. So that's really hard. Um, so I, as I, I was thinking point about out, it, that's a restriction that you placed on yourself. I didn't, uh, yes, I didn't that's true. <laughs> insist on that. <laughs> um, uh, one of the things that we did actually do a previous book club about was uh, The Left-Handed Darkness by Ursula K. Le Guin. Mm. And that did sort of kick off a rereading jag for me of a bunch of her books. So I had like at least there was there was I have a small, small few to pick from, but they're all really good because uh, you may not have heard this about Ursula K. Le Guin, but she's an excellent writer. She was pretty good at her good at her craft. Um, so I thought I would pick uh, one of the other books by her that I had had reread around that time. Um, my first thought was A Wizard of Earthsea, but I decided that was way too easy. It's like one of my all time favorites and it just felt too obvious. So I decided totally does to hold up, though. Still I reread that it, just yep, a few years. Absolutely. For the first mm-hmm. time I read it and it totally holds up. Yes, see that—that's the kind of vindication I'm looking for. A, a first-time reader <laughs> thinking that it's—it's it's still good. Uh, so I'm actually going to pick its sequel, its first sequel, *The Tombs of Atuan*. Still um, holds up. I also read that one. Yep. Yay! Yep. Oh and yeah, I reread of, the whole series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> part of the reason that I'm picking it is because actually, as as you listeners will see during our next category, it was actually kind of a reverse of what we're going to talk about next. Uh, the first time I I read *Wizard of Mercy*, I don't know how many times uh, before. I discovered that there was a sequel and picked that up. So I was really expecting to love that book. And the first time I read it, I was I was young and dumb and uh, I didn't get it. I didn't like it. I was so disappointed. I didn't even go on and like read the rest of them for a long, long time. Um, and eventually I came back and reread and I've reread it a, a few times now. Uh, and I, I realize now, yes, that book actually is fantastic. It's great. I just didn't... I think at that time, the only series of books, because I was fairly young, the only series of books I had read were very much where, like, book two is in the same vein as book one, and is the same vein as book three. Like, there's not a lot of variation. And the this book does not really follow the same main character in the same way as uh, as the first book this the, the the heroine of this book is is a girl and i was like i don't want to read about this random girl who is in this really awful like religious like boarding school type place i want to read about my wizardy hero from the first book um now going back and reading it now it's like oh no this is this is um, i think a much more interesting story to be reading about the the society this this society that worships these you know ancient dark gods and these tombs that have no light in them that are a huge maze and there's there's a lot of cool magical stuff going on that i totally missed the first time mm-hmm. um so so i'm i'm picking this because i uh i love all of the books in this series but this is the one that i think surprised me the most when i went back to it so i feel like not only does it hold up it holds up way better than young me thought the first time i read it and i while i did not have ursula k Le Guin beta test uh, an app for me i did get to meet her briefly <laughs> once and she was just like this tiny ball of like it was like she had this like aura of electrical like genius she was just amazing um so it uh, it makes me happy to pick one of her books I will say Douglas Adams is the exact opposite of Tiny. He is <laughs> very, very tall. I, I can totally back you up on that, though, because I read, 
I first read the Earthsea books when I was a you know a child, a preteen, and uh, I had the same reaction to Tombs of Atuan that time around. I really didn't enjoy it. I was like, I don't get why this is so different. You know, and features almost none of the same characters yep. as the first book. <laughs> but then, yeah, on subsequent rereadings, I got it more. And again, I reread the whole Earthsea series. Um, mm-hmm. It was just after Le Guin died. That was why I reread them. And uh, yeah, Atuan actually was one of my favourites of the series. Probably mm-hmm. better, I think, than Farthest Shore, actually, on reflection. Wow. So I was i i was torn uh there are s- several books here that you know that i could have chosen um some of them predictable you know most of gibson's uh pre-1990 output for example yeah the haunting of hill house by shirley jackson was one was a really mm-hmm. strong contender um because i reread that recently um after having watched the netflix series well, and the netflix series is very much a kind of take the book and then go off in a not a different direction, but build something very different on top of the same concept. Um, and it is an excellent series. And it made me go back and reread the book. And I realized, oh, yeah, the book actually is still really good, like really, really chilling. Um, you know, if you like sort of disturbing horror, uh, absolutely recommend that book. But that's not what I'm going to pick in the grand <laughs> tradition of uh, getting two picks in. <laughs> My recommendation for a, a classic and this really is pre-1990, this is quite an old book that still holds up, is The Spy Who Came In From The Cold by John le Carre, yep. which I reread about three years ago now. For the first time, I, I've read it several times, but that was the first time that I'd read it in, oh, maybe getting on 20 years or something. Um, and it electrified me. I couldn't believe how well it holds up. It is... I mean, I imagine most people know the story now, but in case you don't, The Spy Came From The Cold is the story of a British spy, uh, secret service agent for MI6, who is tasked with defecting to the Russians during the Cold War um, in order to sort of, you know, get one over on them, to pretend to defect. And that's a sort of semi-spoiler, but not much, because it's made pretty clear Um and there's sort of questions about, well, actually, is he pretending or is he going to defect for real because he's so fed up and disgusted with, you know, British society and the British system and what have you. And then there are other twists piled on top that I'm not even going to touch on because that's part of the delight of reading the book. But one of the reasons that it still holds up, apart from just the the plotting quality, is how angry that book is. It is searingly just disgusted with society and Britain and the Cold War and everything to do with spying. And of course, John le Carré worked for MI6 at the time when he wrote this book. Uh, It's no surprise that he left shortly afterwards, partly because he was able to, because it was such a huge success. But it is, it's, I I don't think I've read a book, because this is from the 1950s. I don't think I've read a book from that era that still holds up in that way that is so uh, the the sheer like i say anger just kind of radiates off the page at you um and as as a result is a really compelling read for a book that is now god 70 years old almost which is incredible to think about i just read this for the first time last year and did you enjoy it i i i did <laughs> i think i thought i thought it was very good i had seen the movie so I kind of mm-hmm. knew what was going to happen. 
but um but yeah Lacare is very good and and I read so I read his books from the, his first like four or five that he's pu- that he published um and you get you know his first novel isn't very good it, it's it's okay but I feel like you can see um him progressing as it goes yeah and uh, this and this book is so much more expansive his first two are really like trials he's trying things out the the the, they're very uh limited with what they uh are about in scope and then uh, this one is not at all like that it is (laughs) it is wide open in terms of its scope and it's got kind of a wild ending that is a little bit i don't know it's it it, it's a little bit out there but uh it's so yeah it's very good very very good not uh it holds up i think to the to your point yes i agree it holds up and if you read the first four, that means because after this, I think comes Looking Glass War. Yeah, I hated that one. Which is a yeah, that is not that is a difficult <laughs> it's a, it's a book to book. read. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's bad, but I think it is. I think it's not. Bad. A, I would actually recommend their movie as well. I'm t- I assume you're talking about the Richard Burton, uh, yeah, film from like 19, which was made in the 60s, I think, mm-hmm. like not that long after the novel came out. Yeah, it is very good and does follow the book fairly closely, actually. Um, you know, almost surprisingly faithfully. Yeah, absolutely. And you can uh, hear more about that in the incomparable episode 378, in which we watched the third man and the spy who came in from the cult. Ah, I didn't realize you'd watched it for the mm. podcast. Fantastic. I, yeah, everything is for the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> You're here. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. So... Uh, next up is, uh, the next category is a book you didn't expect to like, but really enjoyed. And this is, I know this is a horrible category, but it always gets (laughs) such interesting results. I think from people, when you ask people this question, uh, Jason, I'm going to start this round with you. So back to you. What did you pick? Okay. Um, this is a tricky one, right? Because I, I feel like I'm generally open to, subject matter i mean to a certain degree but what i did find is you know, like i've got two examples here so I, I guess one will officially be my pick and one will be my not a pick also a pick um so i'm gonna say <laughs> the last graduate by naomi novik uh is not my mm-hmm. pick but i'm gonna mention it first <laughs> go sue me um and the reason is that is a okay it is a young adult novel set in an academy of wizards a wizarding school yeah it yeah. is for lack of a better term a wizarding school and this is not a this is not one of those books like Ursula Le Guin writing the Harry Potter books a, you know more than a decade before two decades before <laughs> this is published in 2020 now I like Naomi Novik. That wasn't the problem. The problem was very much like: is there anything new to say about a wizarding school? A, a wizarding school, uh, basically. Well, it, it it's takes 
students from all over, but our our, our main viewpoint character is um, is from the UK. So, yeah. And and I like her, but I'm not gonna. And, and Lauren read this book first because she reads especially a lot of YA uh, for her job as a children's librarian, and she said it's very good. You need to read it. And she she was right. Uh, it's great. It, and if the question is what is there left to say about a wizarding academy, I'll tell you. There's a lot left to say, and Naomi Novik says a lot of it in this three-book <laughs> series. The third book was just published. I just read the third book in the series, which I actually think may, might have been the best of the bunch. Um, there's a lot to say. It's very clever in um, in its premise, uh, making it a very different kind of uh, high school experience for these uh, these student wizards, they're just trying to not be killed by the school. What if the premise, the elevator pitch for, for the last graduate is what if uh, Hogwarts was uh, trying to kill everybody? Um, it's great. However, yeah, but that's not your pick, but that's not my pick because <laughs> okay. this is not Wait, a draft. Before you, before you say your yes. pick, Jason, yes. I just want to say that in the, the grand tradition of book club episodes, usually I, I, I buy something while we're, we're, uh, talking about it, I have just checked this book out on my e-reader. So all it's right, <laughs> it's this is Scalaman series. They are great. All three books are great. Thank you, Jason. So what I'm going to instead pick though is the other the other <laughs> side of it. So that that is the this doesn't sound like a book I'd want to read, but I really enjoyed it. Sometimes though, I'm I'm just prejudiced against writers, and so I am going to mm. pick Every Hearted Doorway by Sean <laughs> and McGuire. Say. In the Wayward Children series, and we've talked about it on the podcast, these are a series of novellas by Sean and McGuire that are sort of like uh, set in a. It's again, it's a. It's not quite a school. It's more like a, a a halfway house for kids who are taken away in a magical portal to a far off magical realm, and then after their adventures are dropped summarily back on Earth, mundane old Earth, where they are miserable. Because they had this wonderful adventure and now they're back on Earth and they hate everything about their lives and all they want to do is go back to the magical world and they can't go back. And that is the premise of this series. Uh, it begun with Every Heart a Doorway. And, I, you know, it got nominated for something. And I was like, really? Because Shauna McGuire, as Mira Grant, wrote the, wrote the News Flesh series, which uh, on early episodes of The Incomparable, um, Scott and I complained about... Um, I, I, I hate those books. And so was it purely just that you didn't I, I, think you could like anything not, by Shona McGuire? Why would I read a book by an, uh, an author whose books I had despised, right? Like, why right. would I waste my life <laughs> reading more <laughs> books from this writer who I didn't like be like, eh, it's okay. It was like, literally, this is a terrible book, badly written. Why would I do that? And I don't, I still am a little bit baffled and I still have a theory that maybe those books were like in her drawer and were like early attempts. Um, and, and because, because I can't square it with the capability on display in the Wayward Children series, um, starting with this one, but I think there are like eight of them now, something like that. There are a lot of or them. nine. Wow. Yeah, nine of them. And they're really good. I'm like sure. all of them are really good. So, um, start with Every Heart a Doorway and give it a shot. Uh, it's, it's, it's really good. And, um, I, to say I didn't expect to like it is an understatement. <laughs> That's how I knew that was going to be your pick. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Erica, uh, you're up next. So what's your pick? 
Okay. Well, I struggled with this category because if I didn't expect to like it, why would I read it? <laughs> yeah, That's right. Basically. Um, but uh, I did read a bunch of stuff for uh, award. There's awards reading and that, you know, is a different well, sort awards of category. Well, people recommend you things as well, you know. I w- yeah, but if I didn't think I was going to like it, then I'm not going to read it. I don't care who expect- <laughs> who recommended it to me because there's a lot of books in the world. Why don't I just read one that I think I am going to like? Um, so... Uh, because I gave myself the the guardrails of, of not picking something we've already talked about on the podcast, I'm, I'm and also I had trouble thinking of anything that like that I was dreading reading for award season. Um, so I'm going to go back and I'm going to pretend I'm not. I don't have great strong memories of why I read this book for the first time, but I suspect it was just peer pressure because everybody was talking about it. And uh, back in. Uh, it was 2005. Uh, a lot of people were really, really excited about these new vampire books that had had come out, or this this new one. And I think I was just kind of over vampires at the time. But at some point, I finally broke down and read Twilight by Stephanie Meyer. And I don't know. Maybe I did expect to like it. I'm just assuming, knowing what I know about myself, that I was probably expecting not to like it simply because there was so much buzz around it. And mm-hmm. I tend to be a contrarian and when a whole bunch of people like stuff and tell me I should like something, especially at that time in my life, I really, really didn't uh, have a tendency to to go in with an open mind. So, uh, so yeah, I read it. And I, I know that all the Twilight books just get bashed a lot. And I kind of don't care <laughs> because I think even by the time I read this book, I was past the point in my life where I had uh, st- where I'd been, you know, I would pretend not to like things that weren't cool to like. So like I used to pretend I didn't like boy bands, even though I totally liked boy bands. Uh, and at this point, I was like, you know what? I'm enjoying reading this book. I really. Yeah, it's a uh, it's maybe not the most skillfully written book. And sure, the main character doesn't have a whole lot of uh, personality. But honestly, especially at that point in my life, that's exactly the kind of the main character I really wanted to read. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with Twilight, it's about there's a, a family of, of vampires that, yes, they sparkle in the sun. And I don't understand why that's such a problem for people, because so what? <laughs> there are a lot of different reasons why you might not be able to go out in the sun. I think that's one of the more inventive ones. Um, and uh, and yeah, and there's a, a young high school girl and a 103 year old vampire falls in love with her, which, yeah, kind of squicky. But guess what? Labyrinth is one of my favorite movies. So <laughs> obviously I don't have a problem with weird, icky, squicky romances uh, when it comes to what, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. And uh, and yeah, having a main character like Bella, who is a teenage girl who does not know what she wants to do with her life. I was not a teenage girl in 2005, but I certainly didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So it uh, it resonated very well for me. It was just a cheesy as heck romance and it uh it was just what i wanted at the time and i ended up actually reading those books all of them over and over again so many times that i had to give them away to stop myself from reading them so while i did not expect that i was going to like that like the book going in i ended up loving the series an awful lot maybe to a slightly unhealthy uh degree but uh, (laughs) but yeah that's my pick Wow. The Twilight books actually were one of the very earliest episodes of Unjustly Maligned. I remember. Uh, I loved that episode because it was like, yeah, preach. Yeah. Lee Alexander, the uh, games journalist and critic, came on to Mm -hmm. uh, defend them and did an admirable job of it, I thought. Yep. 
Yeah. And like like any book, they're certainly not for everybody, but there there are some people that those books are really like very much for. Now, now knowing who Stephanie Meyer really turned out to be as a person, I'm not actually like reading any of the sequels or anything, although I'm really curious. But uh, but yeah, those those books sort of live in this happy place in my memory. Yeah, good. Uh, James, then what about you? So I think instead of saying I didn't expect to like it, I'm going to twist the category somewhat to be okay. more accurately. I was apprehensive at the prospect of reading it. Um, <laughs> Splitting I, hairs. <laughs> I'm going to, if not what that, else a podcast what, what for? is a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, I'm going to cautiously recommend The Priory of the Orange Tree by Samantha Shannon. It's a proper fantasy novel in that it's so thick and heavy that my hands started to physically hurt from the act of reading it. Oh, um, I love it. <laughs> the book that I'd read immediately before it, which I'll come on to later, uh, has a t an absolute tiny number of characters in a very confined space. And in this one, the list of characters at the back of the book was itself 15 pages long, and it spans an entire world. And, you know, growing up, I read a lot of these kind of fantasy series, and I just don't have that kind of patience these days. Um, so I describe it as a sort of more female-focused and less grim Game of Thrones. You know, you've got your core intrigue, your dragons, your dark prophecies, and so on. There's multiple storylines from the perspective of characters across many continents that don't intersect for absolutely ages. You know, it's got a map at the start of the book, which hey. I think we'll all agree is the cornerstone of a good fantasy book. Mm -hmm. um, it does, however, have the advantage that it is currently the only book in the series with one self-contained distant prequel coming out next year. So it's not like Wheel of Time territory that there are 500 more similarly sized bricks that you've got to read, <laughs> which you could then build a small house out of. Um, despite having something of a really slow start with it and initially losing track of exactly where each person was in the world, I, I had this moment of, wait, are they on the same continent? Um, it really got my hooks into me after like the first, you know, 100 pages out of the 800, 900 that's in it. <laughs> and I ultimately finished the whole thing in about four sittings. And each sitting, I just wow. read twice as many pages. Um, and it's really, really good. Wow. I'd never even heard of it. The big fat fantasy category is one that, yeah, I, I must admit, I apart, I have read the Game of Thrones books. I do, re I do keep up with those. I say keep up with them. I mean, <laughs> he's never writing another one yeah, of those. <laughs> it's not hard to keep up with them these days, but uh, but they're probably the only like yeah that big doorstop fantasy thing that I've read in a in a long time. I, I mean, I would say if you enjoy that, I would give this a go because it. I I find it. It's just. I mean, you know, bad things happen, but it's just not so grim. <laughs> a less grim Game of Thrones does sound appealing. I'm it sorry. really does. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go with, uh, and the reason that I didn't expect to like this is I am not huge on literary fiction. Um, you know, I've read too much of it that was just drivel, frankly. Um, and uh, slight clang here as we say uh, a few years ago i was invited on to the saturday review show on bbc radio 4 and for that Ooh. show you have to you have to watch a play watch a movie read a book uh, and i think that episode we also read a graphic novel 
because I was on it. So that was why they got me on that <laughs> particular one. Um, and the book that they had us read was Country by Michael Hughes. And Country is a literary book that retells the Iliad, but in the uh, scenario of the Troubles in Northern Ireland. And if that sounds wow. like a recipe for a book that could go very, very badly wrong, <laughs> like that's exactly why I had so much trepidation. I was like, oh, oh, that that sounds like it could be a really bad idea. Um, and so I, I went into the book with enormous trepidation. And to my surprise, it was brilliant. I mean, it was probably my favorite thing out of all the things they made us read and watch and what have you for that show. This is the only one that really has stuck with me that uh, that that I would happily go back and reread. Um, it's, I mean, the characters are literally called things like uh, Akil, you know, <laughs> and uh, the my one criticism of it, which I did mention on the show actually, is that if anything, at times it sticks too closely to the Iliad. Like there are parts of it which are so blatantly, you know, um, taken from the Iliad that almost don't fit. Um, but he makes it all work and it's, it becomes a character study. It becomes uh, a study of the situation in Northern Ireland at that time. Michael Hughes is Irish, obviously. God help any non-Irishman who would try to write a book, write a book like this. Um, it's a really good study of, you know, the time and the situation around the troubles, but all wrapped up in this retelling of obviously what is a, a literally a classic story um it's it is absolutely not a book that i would ever have read if i hadn't been made to read it you know by the bbc there's a <laughs> there's a blurb for you um but i'm so glad i did i i enjoyed it so much and i will happily read anything else that uh, hughes writes as a result because i was so impressed by this book that could have gone so badly wrong and instead it was actually so very, very good. I don't expect any of you have read that. But yeah, it is genuinely really, really good. Uh, so, all right, the final category, nice, simple one. Uh, and I think I know what James is going to pick here based on what he just said. So, yeah, <laughs> but not, we're not, not you, not you yet. So this category is the best book you read in the past year. Now it doesn't have to be a new book, only a, that you read it in the last 12 months. And we're going to go back to Erica to kick us off for this category. All right. Well, I mean, I gave myself the rule of not talking about the things that we've already talked about on the podcast. Otherwise, I would be saying The Galaxy and the Ground Within by Becky Chambers. But I am not picking that book because uh, not only did we talk about it on one of the uh, awards book club episodes this year, but Jason did an episode of uh, Recently Read about it, and it was mentioned on multiple <laughs> other book club episodes before that, I think. So I, I feel like uh, people have talked about it, and maybe somebody else on this podcast will pick it, and that would be great, but it's not going to be me. Um, okay. uh, I think A Desolation Called Peace by Arkany Martin would, would probably be second on that list. But again, we already talked about it. So I am going to go with The Nova Incident by a certain guy <laughs> named Dan <Yay>! Moore. <laughs> It's, it's, and I will admit, yeah, I'm biased, but guess what, folks? I know a lot of writers and I read a lot of books by people I know and I don't shout about all of them from the rooftops. And 
It's a really good book. I have enjoyed all of the books in this series, but I think Dan has has just built up his skills as a writer with every single book. And this one was a freaking crackerjack from beginning to end. Uh, the the action scenes did not bore me, which let me tell you, that's a feat. Um, and uh, the characters, I felt like, had all really developed a lot from the either the first book if they were around all the way back during the Caledonian Gambit, or if they had joined later and were delightful additions to the motley crew of uh, interstellar spies that those books are about. Um, Somebody uh, uh, said that if you're looking for Mission Impossible in space, look no further. Probably a very smart fellow Mm. said that. So smart (laughs) that they put it on the cover of the book. Um, Yeah, so there are uh, several delightful episodes of The Incomparable, where Jason sits down and talks to Dan about the process of writing those books. I suggest listening to those, but first I suggest reading literally every book in the series, because they're all really good. They are. And at, at speaking as the person who uh, wrote that blurb <laughs> that's on the cover, um, so I, I I agree with you that it's, it's the best book. Uh, I immediately <laughs> after finishing reading it, the first thing I said to Dan was, this is your best book yet. This is absolutely the best book you've and written I mean, so far. And that's Coming from me, that is saying a lot because I love beginnings. I'm always like just really excited about the beginnings of things. And I really, really loved the rest of the books in the series. So, yeah, it is the best. Yeah, it is really good. Jason, do you have anything more to say about this uh, this book by this strange fellow, Dan Moran? I can co-sign all of <laughs> Erica's choices, her two choices that weren't choices, as well as her choice that was a choice. <laughs> These are all... Excellent books. <laughs> they're all good. They're books. all good. They're all good books. Yep. But I, I will also second Erica's recommendation of the episodes where Jason talks to Dan about the books. I would suggest mm-hmm. reading the books first. Um, they're not uh, super e- spoilery, but you will get more out of those episodes if yes. you already know the books themselves. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yes. Uh, but they are also really good books. Dan is very. Uh, good at talking about writing i've had him on my show writing and breathing for exactly that reason because he's very good at talking about process and sort of examining his own work and methods uh so yeah they make for really good episodes uh who's next for this one james surprise I think us it's me well i would pick your book uh anthony but i haven't read it yet so I, <laughs> it, it may be up, james the I, best I, book i can tell you i think it's anthony's best book yet Ooh. And well, I told I, Anthony that after I read it. You did, that's true. <laughs> I, I just flicked to the back to see if I was in the acknowledgements and Anthony noticed and picked me up on that. So, yes. anyway. But you messaged me and said, oh, the book just arrived. And I noticed I'm in the acknowledgements. And I was like, well, you can't have read the whole book. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> right straight to it. Nice. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, unlike Erica, I, I don't care if you have discussed <laughs> books at length or whatever. So... While I am not going to pick A Memory Called Empire and A Desolation Called Peace by um, Arcady Martin, they are both extremely excellent, and I've read them in the last month. Um, But yes, my pick is four people are stuck at an intergalactic motorway service station for a few days. (laughs) Yay! Um, I am going with The Galaxy in the Ground Within by Becky Chambers, and I don't care if we say Becky Chambers like 10 times in this podcast, because (laughs) she is extremely good. Um, Yeah, this is the fourth and sadly last book in her excellent Wayfarer series, which is named for the ship that only appears in the first book, which everybody (laughs) keeps wishing would come back, but never does. Um, 
The books are generally standalone, though you will get more out of them if you've read the others, uh, which you should definitely do. Uh, but I would personally recommend skipping the third because it didn't agree with me at all. Anyway, yeah, I, I, I just I love the the scale of this. Um, you know, much like our other books, because it's small, there's only a few characters. You get so much detail in the descriptions and well-rounded characters, and yeah. It's just about these members of different alien races sort of defying expectations and stereotypes and learning to work together. But it's it's not end of the world, end of the galaxy stuff. And I think it comes off very well for that. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, this, this was one of my, if nobody else had picked it, which I was pretty sure somebody would, but just <laughs> in case, if nobody else had, I had it on my list. And yeah, for exactly... That re it's an incredible book, like almost nothing happens. Yeah. And yet it is, you know, you, you're taking on this incredibly emotional journey. And by the end of it, I felt so uh, excited and enthralled and engaged and in love with those characters after a book in which, yeah, for 350 pages, almost nothing happens. It's incredible. And they're not humans Something. either. There's, there's only mm -hmm. one human character who appears very oh, yeah. late in the book and is not really part of the point of the book. So... Yeah, that was Which this is weird, another one. It feels that, like such a human book. I know. Yeah. It is, yeah. but the but with the aliens that she's sort of established mm -hmm. a lot of these alien races in the other books, but really you could read this uh standalone and in fact this is one of those books I recommended to Lauren and that she read and liked. Um that is you know, again just not you don't need to know the other the the, the series is mm -mm. is loosely connected, so there's no there's no reason to read them in any order. This one's great. Yeah, there's context you get from the other books, but there's nothing that you need to know, uh, you know, from any of the others that will sort of stop you from enjoying uh, any any part of the later books. Jason, it's your pick. What have you got for us? All right. I looked at Goodreads and came up with five, uh, five star books that I read in the last year, just keeping this scientific. And there were three. Mm -hmm. There were three. Those three were Elder Race by Adrian Tchaikovsky, which is a novella. Mm -hmm. Um, we'll get back to that in a second. City of Blades by Robert Jackson Bennett, which is one of the, the books in his a trilogy uh, of the city of stairs and blades. And I forget what the other one is. It's a really surprisingly great trilogy. I loved it a lot. It's fantasy. It's set in a very strange world. Um, it's it's really good. I liked it a lot. Is it urban fantasy? Not really. Um, yeah, no, I would say no. I would say no, and yet I don't know what subgenre I might even put it in. It's very strange, but it's good. It's super good. Um, and the Golden Enclaves by Naomi Novik, the third book in the Scalamance series, which I just finished, and I gave it five stars. Uh, and I don't give a lot of five star books. Obviously, three in the last year on Goodreads, but those three <laughs> all got it. Um, Elder Race is the answer to the, to Anthony's question. That's the best book I've read in the past year. Um, it's a novella that is told in both science fiction and fantasy genres because it is about an advanced human scientist who has been sent after a galactic diaspora that Earth has lost contact with all the other planets for a thousand years. Uh, they reconnect to the other planets and sell. They send anthropologists to observe how cultures have drifted over time. And the people on this planet um, have, you know, receded with not being connected to Earth 
than having their technology break down to a more primitive state where they are uh, they do not understand his high technology and therefore everything we see from his perspective is a science fiction novel and everything we see from the plucky princess who needs the help of the magic wizard who lives on top of a mountain <laughs> that's the archaeologist uh, is seen from a fantasy you know mythological fairy tale almost kind of perspective she's got a quest there's a monster that needs to be slain maybe the wizard could help her and it is it, it's it's very touching the scientist has lost contact with earth and fears that earth has fallen into a dark age again uh, and that he's all alone he struggles with depression um there are a lot of misunderstandings but he you know he's trying his best to take care of these uh these people who who don't understand his his power uh or and that he can't explain himself clearly to them because the language the the concepts just don't align because they they have drifted so far apart it's just it's a it's a masterful work and i like adrian tchaikovsky's novels i'm actually two books into his latest trilogy and it's fantastic but elder race just blew me away it is absolutely the best book i've read in the last year that's on my list of uh books to read soon yeah yeah it's and it's just a, it's a, i love the mixing as with among others i love the mixing of like ah science fiction fantasies i, I mean when i was a kid i read those uh pierce anthony books right where they're the where there's the ah, science yes. fiction world and the magic world and they interact and they mm -hmm. juxtapose and all of those things uh so i love that kind of stuff and here tchaikovsky handles it so well where where you've got every character is in their own unique uh, point of I view. I love the idea that it's the two different perspectives. Yeah. Yes, and then late in the book, there there is a moment where it's almost synoptic, where you're basically seeing what one person's saying and what the other one is interpreting. It's just, it's great. It's great. Yeah, oh, fantastic. Uh, so my pick, um, I mean, I'm I'm a bit like you, Jason, in that I don't give out five stars lightly. Uh, I didn't count how many five stars I've given in the last year on Goodreads, but it wouldn't be many. Uh, a five-star book for me has to be something that I would literally recommend to anyone, uh, regardless of you know what their other preferences would be. Um, Galaxy in the Ground Within was absolutely a five-star book <laughs> for me. Uh, and if, like I said, if nobody else had chosen that, I would have gone with it. Um, so my backup because this is not a draft, but still. I was going to say, it's not a draft, though. <laughs> you can <laughs> still pick it. But I do want to hear about a different book. That's that's exciting. Well, my backup is a non-fiction book. What? Uh, yes. Are they allowed? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I said you could interpret the categories any way you wished. <laughs> so it is a non-fiction book that I read not that long ago. I only finished it a few weeks ago. And it is uh, a music biography. It is called Paint My Name in Black and Gold by Mark Andrews. Uh, the subtitle is The Rise of the Sisters of Mercy, which tells ah. you exactly what the book's about. <laughs> okay. And it is, I mean, it, if you're a Sisters of Mercy fan, you absolutely have to read this book. Just no ifs, no buts. You must read this book. But even if you're not a fan specifically of the band, which I am, as anybody who listens to The Incomparable will know, because I, you know, I've mentioned them uh, in previous podcasts, even if you're not a fan of the band, if you are interested in how uh, a band could rise out of a very, very deprived area of England in the post-punk movement to become this, you know, the enormous band that the Sisters of Mercy became in the late 1980s and early 1990s, uh, it is an absolutely fascinating book that is so incredibly well-sourced. 
like almost everyone involved with the band in those early days spoke to the author um some of them at length and some of them with remarkable candor shall we say <laughs> uh it is very much a warts and all like you know there are no veils here the scales have fallen from the eyes feet of clay and all those other cliches um it focuses mostly on the band's early years up until their split in 1986 everything after that which includes their period of enormous popularity with you know floodland and this corrosion and all that is covered but given fairly short shrift uh because by that point the band had essentially become an andrew eldritch solo project but before then and even before the release of their first album they were a very successful singles and ep band for about four years and also had a, a massive live following as well um in fact the record of theirs that i chose in the album draft the original album draft here on the incomparable was an ep from that period before they'd even released their first album and so there is a lot to go into there there's this long history of the band uh even before they released their first album after which they promptly split up <laughs> um but yeah just as a as an artifact of the early days of a band building itself in as i say this very specific time in british history and this from this incredibly deprived area of the country as well it is just fascinating um if you have any interest in the music industry or the development of bands then i, I can't recommend the book enough okay i'll allow it <laughs> all right so with our regular categories over it wouldn't be a book club if we didn't finish with a round of what are you reading so james what are you reading um well uh, i've got two books here which uh also blend science fiction with magic uh i just finished reading gideon the ninth by tasman muir which is a oh, yeah. kind of necromancer hunger games murder mystery in space uh, where the lead character talks more like a contemporary teenager and it's entirely full of anachronisms. There are so many reasons why it totally shouldn't work, but it absolutely did for me. And I just got the sequel to that, Harrow the Ninth. Uh, but I am currently reading A Big Ship at the Edge of the Universe by Alex White, which, you know, to use more reductive uh, descriptions, it's sort of Firefly meets Fast and Furious and... Uh, you know, all found family and stuff, and I'm really enjoying it, and I'm curious where it goes next. Those are three things that I enjoy. I will look out for that one. Uh, who else? Erica, what are you reading? I, I literally had to put this book down to take a break reading to come and do this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, the book that I am uh, about in the, middle with, in, the, in the middle of, and I don't want it to end, is Terminal Peace by Jim C. Hines. It is the final book of the Janitors of the Post-Apocalypse series, um, which is a series that I have just really enjoyed uh, even before the pandemic. But like right now, I, I find that I am gravitating towards series that have like this. This has the right balance of a of a wry, quippy sort of silliness from from really delightful characters. That's that's balanced with situations that require actual reflection and grappling with big ideas, uh, plus a big like galaxy spanning plot. Uh, the premise of the books is that uh, sometime in the future. A plague hits Earth. I know plagues just keep popping up in these books, and it's, <laughs> it's tough, man. Uh, but uh, all humans basically become zombies. And I appreciate that this book is not 
these books are not zombie books because I'm, that's that's not my thing. Um, but what happened is another race, another alien race, developed a cure that you so they can take these feral humans and cure them, and it leaves them basically impervious to pain and nearly indestructible. So thus, they are the perfect soldiers in this galactic war uh, with an, another race that's bent on eradicating anybody that's not like them. So uh, our point of view characters are not actually soldiers. Um, most of them are are human, but they're the sanitation crew from from a warship. And due to hijinks in the first book, they get in way over their heads and end up basically taking over the ship and trying to learn how to fly it and um, finding deep, dark secrets about the entire galaxy. And uh, but of course, it turns out they are they are up to the challenge because they are clever, uh, clever janitors. And I just don't I just don't want it to be over because it's been so much fun. I am finding this last book is uh hinges a little bit more toward the side of grappling with big ideas and actual reflection and and stuff. Um but uh but yeah, overall I'm still still really loving it. I mean, it could totally like fail the ending, who knows. Um but uh but hopefully it doesn't. And I'm also <laughs> speaking of hoping it doesn't fail the ending is uh I'm in the midst of reading a graphic novel called Three Little Wishes by Paul Cornell, Steve Yowell, and Pippa and Simon Boland. It is, as soon as I saw the description for this, I was like, I must get this book in my grubby little hands. It is about a contract lawyer um, who frees a fairy from a bottle. It's, it turns out to be Oberon, king of the fairies. Uh, she frees him from a bottle and gets three wishes. And what would a contract lawyer do with three wishes? Well, that's what this story is about. And so far, I'm well, like a quarter of the way in. And I'm, I'm, it, it is exactly what I hoped it would be. So I'm really, really quite enjoying it. Um, and then I've been catching up on some of my short fiction reading. So I will do, since I am talking about a fairy-based story, I will mention a, a fairy-based short story called Bramble Wild by Jordan Taylor. It's a super fun, pretty short story with a lot of the same kind of like rules lawyery stuff that makes me love stories about fairies. Uh, but it's also about uh, finding a way to to be yourself and live your life on your own terms. It's very clever and sweet about a, a fairy named Bramble Wild who lives in a creepy cottage at the edge of town and. Some people come to ask for for things, but, you know, you got to be careful when you're asking a fairy for stuff. So I would be thrilled if Jordan Taylor wrote about 100 more stories about these characters. <laughs> it's it's that fun. Um, I also have been reading some short stories that are retellings of fairy tales. That's one of my happy places when it comes to especially short fiction. Um, there's the, the Night Dance by Leah Cypress, which is sort of a... a a twist on the 12 Dancing Princesses fairy tale. Uh, there's The Path of Water by Emma Tors, which has echoes of a lot of fairy tales, but sort of especially like Beauty and the Beast and, and Sleeping Beauty are kind of the two that that it made me think of the most. Um, and then my huge recommendation is Two Hands Wrapped in Gold by S.B. Divya. Uh, it's basically Rumpelstiltskin sort of told from the perspective of a diminutive Indian man who has a very particular blessing. Um, it is sad and romantic and hopeful and just really, really beautiful. I, I loved it so much. Um, and then... Uh, last is not really a fairy tale one. It's called The Portal Keeper by Levi Tadar. It, I read tons of portal fantasies. One I was of my gonna, just going to say, books. yeah, well, it wouldn't be yep. a recommendation for you without a portal fantasy right. in there somewhere. But this is a portal fantasy, quite, again, quite short, told from the point of view of the person who keeps the portal. 
So this is this is the person who literally just lives in a cottage near the portal and what they see and who they see going past and in and out and what their life is like. So it's a it's an angle that I had never even considered. And I really, really enjoyed it. Well, I thought you were going to say from the point of view of the portal. And now I want to see that. So somebody get on there. Ah, yes. <laughs> somebody write oh, that, that, please. Uh, well, that would be like the word for world is tree, wouldn't it? <laughs> sure. Uh, so, yeah, Jason, what about you? Uh, what am I reading? I read, uh, I, and I mentioned earlier, The Golden Enclaves, the third book in the Scalamance series by Naomi Novik. It's excellent. It does one of those things that I really love and I'm always surprised by in series, which is... Um, when it judges the premise of its own series, um, Michelle Baker's borderline series, the second book there, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, it's fairies and detectives and noir and magic. And then book two is like, do you know where the spells come from? It's very bad and kind yeah. of immoral. <laughs> and uh, what are we going to do about it? And it's like, wow, this this book really turned on a dime to be to, to say uh, this nice world that you thought you were watching is actually not very nice. Well, in book three of the Golden Enclaves, I mean, it's very clear from the first two books in the Scholomance series that anytime you throw a bunch of kids into a place and most of them die because the school is trying to kill them, well... I mean, not great, right? But, oh, then they get it. Well, uh, book three, you see more of the world outside the school. I'll put it that way. And Naomi Novik does a great job of uh, interrogating the whole premise of this series. And along the way, I'm I'm just going to say it. You end up spending a lot of time thinking about how complicit people who live in a capitalist society are for the crimes of capitalism. Is that happening in book three of a YA fantasy <laughs> no. series? Friends, it totally is. Um, <laughs> so I love that book. I read Mickey Seven by Edward Ashton on Scott McNulty's recommendation. Hey, remember Scott McNulty? Um, he's not here, but somehow he Sadly is, couldn't make it, yeah. he is still here. Uh, his review on his blog was, this book isn't going to blow your mind, but it's very amusing, highly engaging, and attempts to do something new with old concepts. It is about a, a colony, a troubled colony on a difficult planet for humans to live on. And there are a few hundred people on the colony. And then there's the expendable because they don't have enough resources to have, uh, although reincarnation and brain scanning and rebuilding a body technology exists, it's so expensive to do the scan that uh, only one scan can be done before they send the colony out. And so whoever that guy is, it's Mickey. Uh, he keeps dying and being reinstantiated. And this book is the story of the titular Mickey Seven, who, um, through a series of accidents, is left for dead and then goes back to base to discover that Mickey Eight is there. And that's not supposed to happen. Uh, and it does a lot of fun, you know, Earth colony on a planet, and there are aliens there, and are they, you know, are they sentient or not? And what do they want if they are? And are we going to kill them? Or are we going to try to understand them? And as, and Scott nailed it, like there's nothing new here, but it's being done in a very kind of light tone and funny way that it allows it to get away with a lot, including what I would say are probably a couple gigantic plot holes. doesn't matter. It's so fu- much fun that it doesn't really matter. And I, I also want to mention that this is apparently going to be made as a movie by Bong Joon-ho. So, uh, oh, cool. what? Uh, but yeah, apparently so. So Mickey seven, watch for it uh, before it comes to a theater near you. 
And uh, finally, I actually read the um, two books uh, that I alluded to earlier in Adrian Tchaikovsky's new series, which is The Final Architecture. So Shards of Earth and Eyes of the Void. The only negative thing I have to say about them really is that it seems to be a trilogy and the third book doesn't come out till next year. But in terms of the broadest possible widescreen space opera, I've read a bunch of would-be mind-bending widescreen space opera novels in the last year. And if you look at my Goodreads, you can see what they are. And I found most of them really wanting in terms of um, what I wanted to get out of them. That that, And then I read Tchaikovsky's and I thought, no, 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 this is it. This is what I want. It's uh, set in a uh, galaxy with a bunch of different aliens and some some mechanical artificial life. And Earth has been destroyed by this strange uh, technology that they don't understand. And a ragtag, you knew they were a ragtag, right? A ragtag group of characters <laughs> on a spaceship that's sort of a pirate ship, but sort of not, uh, have to come together to uh, do the unlikely thing and save uh, all of humanity and possibly all of sentient life in the galaxy from the threat. It's, uh, it lives up to it, folks. It lives up to it. It's really good. So I recommend Shards of Earth and Eyes of the Void too. I've read Shards of Earth. I haven't read Eyes of the Void yet. It's on my list to read. I read Shards of Earth and the only criticism I had of it was that it is very obviously the first part of a trilogy. Um, you know that that's really the and that does annoy me sometimes in trilogies where you get a book where it doesn't really have a proper ending no, uh, more of an know, episode just, break right yeah ex- exactly but, so but it, it but is that is literally my only criticism yeah. of it everything else about it i loved i wanted to say also that it, it that's that series it feels to me like it has the richness of something like a star trek or a star wars i mean it really feels like the world is so developed and you you've got these characters and and it's like am i reading the novelization of a world famous franchise of something else that yeah. that no one knows about because it has that feeling of like this it's so he's got it all established and then you've got this ragtag crew in the middle and you can you can cast the characters as who you want actors to play them. And like, it it is, it it's all there. It's, it's so well done. So, you know, I, I'm raving about Adrian Tchaikovsky on this podcast, but I was sort of late to the game with some of his stuff, but uh, he's one of, one of my favorites working today. Really. Yeah. He is really good. Uh, So speaking of space opera, uh, one of the books that I recently read, which I uh, actually did a recently read (laughs) episode about, and I will recommend again here to people, is The Cruel Stars by John Birmingham, uh, which is also the first in a series, but... you know, and again, he's obviously the first in a series, but has uh, more of a proper ending to it, I feel. And yeah, I mean, that's a five star book for me. I, I enjoyed yeah. that book so much. And that is, like you said, it's wide. It's not mind bending in the way that some of Tchaikovsky's right. stuff can be, but it is absolutely widescreen. And that is about, and again, it's kind of, yeah, you've heard this before. It's about the human empire uh you know facing a long dormant threat that suddenly reappears and threatens everything but the way it's done and the immediacy of the threat is so so well handled um that yeah i just i really enjoyed it and i i couldn't it was one of those books you know occasionally you get a book where you just 
as they say, unputdownable. Every time you're doing mm-hmm. something that isn't reading the book, you wish you were reading the book instead. And that was what The Cruel Stars was like for me. I had that as a, that was a five star for me on Goodreads too. I read that a couple of years ago. And that, that was actually, yeah. until I found the Shards of Earth, Eyes of the Void books, I think that was the last time I found a widescreen a space, space opera, opera that series that I thought th- he nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then from the sublime to the ridiculous, as it were, I also recently read... Oh, reread, I should say, Moonraker by Ian Fleming, the oh. book, which is, for those who don't know, nothing at all like the movie. The movie has nothing to do with the book. I cannot stress that enough. <laughs> Apart from sharing some character names, they are completely unconnected. And the book is so much better <laughs> than the film. It's so, it's one of my favorite bond books actually and that's partly because it's a lot even despite the premise that it is about sort of missile technology and stuff um it is so much more grounded than many of the bond books so much more sort of you know just down to earth and street level uh than many of the other stories um so yeah i i'm I'm rereading my way through the whole series and i only just started because moonraker is i think the third book in the series so um yeah, I, I really enjoyed that and just re- finished rereading that a few weeks ago. And I am now reading, and like Erica, I literally put it down <laughs> to record this show. High five. Uh, yeah, I am reading Richard Osman's The Man Who Died Twice, which is the sequel to The Thursday Murder Club, uh, which I think sales currently stand somewhere around five million. Uh, incredibly popular and successful book, helped no doubt by the fact that he is on telly a lot uh, but also a really really good book um and that that's the thing you know you can't begrudge him because it's actually it's a really really well done book uh the thursday murder club is kind of that was the first in uh, what, a sort of cozy crime mystery series about a group of old age pensioners living in an assisted living facility sort of you know retirement village who solve a murder, uh, a couple of murders, actually. And it's really, really good. Like, it sounds twee, but it's handled in a way that isn't twee at all. And he's very, very funny as well. Uh, the Man Who Died Twice, as I say, is the sequel. I've literally only, I'm like 30, 35 pages in. Uh, so I can't judge it completely. But so far, it feels very much like, as you know, just picks up where the last book left off. It's written in the same style. It's already made me laugh a few times. Um, so yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that properly. Uh, and that is it. That was our Ooh. non-group reading book club. We made it. Hey. <laughs> hey. Lots of great books recommended by everyone. Thank you. Um, there's, there's certainly a few uh, from that list that I want to read now. Uh, so hopefully the same is true for our listeners as well. Hmm. Um, you know, that's partly why we do, or certainly, yeah. I mean, I know that's what a lot of listeners get out of the book club episodes is stuff to add to their reading list. And certainly I do. So I hope that they have out of this show as well. Yeah. People, I, I hear from people who this is the, people like the, you know, that we go through the short list, which is good, like, and figure out what of the new novels that everybody is nominating for things, you know, what we liked out of them. But these We've done three or four of these, but these, like, let's just make a big list of books we like that you might want to try. Um, people love those because, you know, if there's anything that's universal is that book readers are always looking for new books, more books to read. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true. 
There's very rarely do I hear from a reader who's like, stop, I don't want to read anymore. Because why would they do I that? Don't, yeah, I don't want you to recommend any more no. books to me. I mean, <laughs> having not read for a while, I'm just like cherry picking all the five star things. So everything I'm reading just seems amazing. You got to uh, sign up. Yeah. You listen yeah. to our old book club episodes, James. There's a lot of good stuff in yeah. there. Well, apparently, so have much. you heard of these things called the Hugos? Apparently, a lot of the books there are quite good. Yes, not <laughs> yeah. all of them. But some of them. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the ratio is pretty high. The Hugo and Nebula list podcasts as well. Like I do, you know, really enjoy those as well because there's a lot of stuff, you know, I those are recommendation shows as well. Um, mm. Even sometimes the books that, you know, some people on the panel don't like, it might be for reasons where I think, oh, well, actually, I quite like books mm. like that. Um, yeah. And so I'll go and read them anyway and enjoy them. We're doing good work, you, you guys. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if listeners have enjoyed this episode, if you want us to do more, let us know. Um, if not, keep it to yourself, I guess. Suggest yeah. <laughs> so some categories. I, I would can't... be interested to hear what kind of things the listeners would like to know. Yes, that's a great that's idea. That's a good idea. I can't believe we didn't mention, you know, something. <laughs> don't do it that way, or I no, shall send you don't. a sternly worded tweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My thanks to Erica. Uh, thank you for coming along. Thank you. This was delightful. And uh, thank you, James. Uh, thank you. I'm just glad to be back in the conversation of current books again. Woo! <laughs> yeah, what a concept. And thank you, Jason. Great draft, Anthony. Great draft. <laughs> <laughs> Not a draft. Not a draft. <laughs> thanks to you all out there for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>